This is Caregiver's Compass, an uplifting podcast all about the ins and outs of caregiving for a loved one. Tips, tricks, true stories, and experts. It's all here on Caregiver's Compass. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Caregiver's Compass. My name is Stephanie Muscat. I am a registered social worker and psychotherapist. Please note that this episode is not the act of psychotherapy. So the first episode of last month, I talked about the boundaries I implemented after I had been very involved with my mom for years and how I reacted to her diagnosis and took it from there. And this week, I want to talk about what happened after I moved out, after I established those boundaries, and what did it look like from there? Was it all roses and sunshine? Hint, no. (laughs) But what happened after that? And so I'm going to summarize it as much as I possibly can. And I'm going to let you know what things look like today, 14 years after her initial diagnosis. So once I moved out, as I said in the last episode, I was still very involved. I had not married yet. I did not have children yet. And so it was trying to constantly figure out how involved I was going to be. Unfortunately, at the same time that I moved out, maybe a few months later, my grandmother started to decline. She was in her early 90s and she lived by herself. And when my mom wasn't able to be there for her as the only child, I took on that role as well. And so Isn't that the funny scenario, funny if you will, for so many caregivers is that once we try to move forward from something, it just seems like we're caring for someone else. (laughs) Or is it that we are so giving and empathetic and loving that we decide to put ourselves in that role because there may really be nobody else or we may feel that we are the best person to be in that role. And so at that time, I did have to take a step into her care. And I knew this time I could not be living with her. I was living with my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. And I knew that I could not be as involved as my mom. I was very burned out and I had moved past that part of me. And my grandmother would not want me to do that. And so I had to decide what to do. And ultimately, I knew that if I was still involved with my mom, I could not be all in with my grandmother. So we decided to look for at-home support. um, And we ended up sponsoring a nanny for her who was living with her, which was a big weight off my shoulders. It was a big process. I was worried about the person I was hiring. We interviewed them extensively and I was still checking in with them every single day to make sure my grandma was okay and still visiting her very often. But I had to take a step back, especially because I just started graduate school, which was something I had worked towards 
very hard for many years, finally got in, and then I had to make sure that I was caring for my grandmother because my mom could not. And literally there was nobody else. It was my dad, but my dad was now involved with my mom more because I had moved out. And so we hired somebody. My dad did help with that because I was in the middle of school and uh, that person was wonderful. And unfortunately, after my first year of graduate school, my grandmother really declined and ended up in the hospital. And I was doing summer school. And um, I remember doing summer school by her bedside in the hospital and trying to write my assignments while she was in a coma in the hospital. And my dad would bring my mom to visit her and I was going in every single day. And then I had to take a break because I burnt out. And unfortunately, there was no one else to visit. And I remember going in one day and being faced by this nurse who clearly did not have any insight into my family or any understanding or appreciation of my life and what I had been through because she didn't ask and didn't know and assumed. And I walked in and she said, oh, wow, someone decided to show up. No one's been here for your grandmother in days. And I just, I started crying. I said, I am trying my best. I am struggling here. You know, how could you say that to me? I felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt guilted, which I now know from working in the hospital, she was probably feeling frustrated and burnt out. Maybe she felt for my grandmother, but, you know, no one should say that to anybody. They don't know your family situation and circumstances. And so obviously that made me extremely upset. And yeah, I was I was crying and Another nurse came and said, don't worry, I get it. You have to take the breaks you need to get. Don't listen to her, it's okay. And that was really hard for me to balance now the guilt of that, which I was already feeling, but to be told that by someone in the hospital was really hard. And, you know, so my grandmother was in and out of the hospital is the long, is the long story. And then she did ultimately pass away I think two months before I got married or one month before I got married. And I was involved with the decision of whether or not to pull the plug, so to speak, which is a very hard one, especially knowing that I was getting married and she really wanted to be there. I knew that more than that, she did not want to live suffering and live the way she was. And she had verbalized that to me many times. So yeah, we decided not to keep her in a vegetated coma state and just let what would happen happen. And she passed away. I then got married and went on my honeymoon and started working in the hospital as an inpatient social worker. And I worked there for uh, seven years. And somewhere in there, I had two kids and started my life, so to speak, the life that I had always dreamed of and the life that I had always visioned. I always wanted three children. And so while I was in the hospital, I had two. I remember after I had my first one, uh, my mom really declined and my dad ended up in the hospital for emergency surgery at the same time when she was, I think, two weeks old. 
And I had just had a C-section and I was barely sleeping and functioning. And I was running from the hospital to my dad to then my parents' house because my mom was by herself. And then I had to look through agencies to find a PSW or somebody to go to my mom's house to be there overnight. And then I was coming during the day. And then I asked my mother-in-law to come in from the other city she lives in, which is two hours away, so she could be with my baby. And then I was running home in between to breastfeed. Now that I think back to this, it was a disaster. But yeah, I, I don't know how I did that. And I did that for several days maybe a week. And I was just a mess. Like I was running off of two hours of sleep and doing that. And then after that, I said to my dad, you need to start taking care of yourself too, because I cannot do that. And he had pretty much left a hernia for a really long time. Then he had a ruptured appendix that he wasn't paying attention to. And then my mom declined even more and he needed me to come in. And I said, listen, I ha- I think my daughter was at the time four months old. I said, I can't. You're going to have to hire someone. I can't be this person to keep coming in. I have my own child now that I that needs me. She's this baby who literally depends on me for survival. She was eating from me. And um. I, I know that when I was really stressed out, she wouldn't sleep because she could feel the energy off me, I feel. And I wasn't sleeping and it was it was a mess. So I said, listen, you're going to have to hire somebody. I, I can't do this. And he was very hesitant. But again, I set those boundaries because I needed to be okay for myself and my daughter. And so he did. He hired someone and that took a load off. And then we had uh, the government services coming in to help my mom as well. And then things were pretty okay for a couple months until (laughs) my mom went to go see a neurosurgeon who gave us a six-month prognosis. And they pretty much said, that my mom needed brain surgery and that if she didn't have this brain surgery that there was fluid in her brain i guess they felt it was normal pressure hydrocephalus or something like that and that if she didn't have this surgery she was going to keep declining and the pressure was going to get too much and she would pass away in six months and so my dad had to make this very difficult decision i guess my daughter was maybe eight months seven months at the time And uh, he ultimately decided not to proceed because we knew that she would not recover after that surgery just because of how much she had declined already. And we were also worried that her cognitive state would never come back after that. And I'm really glad we decided not to proceed with that because that was maybe four and a half years ago. And she's still going strong. So who knows what would have happened after that, but we were getting ready for her to pass away. She stopped eating at a certain point. And again, we were getting ready for her to pass away. My dad did a lot of processing. We both cried a lot together. And she surpassed that. And so, I I mean, my dad is very hands-on now, very dedicated, always there. And I don't question whether... Her being here is a byproduct of that because she has a lot of dedication and care now. And 
we've had bumps along the way. She's had lots of seizures. She had aspiration pneumonia. We were told when she was admitted over a year ago in the hospital that she likely wouldn't survive two days. It's been a year and a half. <laughs> so um, this woman is is a miracle, and everything that has happened around her is a miracle. And as difficult as this whole thing has been, I don't discount the fact that we are very lucky to still have her here and the fact that she can see my children and she lights up whenever she sees them and she engages as much as she can, which means she lifts her hand to wave at them and she might say a word to them, which is rare for her these days. But she loves my kids. And when I was pregnant with my third, she would look at me and just start crying. And I could tell she was just so happy. And I'm going to start crying too. But I remember looking at her when I was very pregnant. I was about to have my baby. So it must have been in, I don't know, December of 2021. And I looked over at her and I mouthed the words, you know, are you happy? Like, is this what you wanted? And she said, uh, yes, I'm a grandma. And she knew, she knew in that moment, right? We've had very clear moments with her and then she'll slip away. And I know those moments are rare, but she knew in that moment that she was a grandma. I don't know if she knew she had other grandchildren, but she definitely knew I was pregnant. And uh, when I had my baby, she cried again. And now she loves watching my girls. And, you know... <laughs> I'm not fully ever free. I'm always filled with anxiety every time I get a phone call. I went away last week with a friend. I got a phone call from a hospital and I was convinced that my mom had been admitted or something happened to my father. It ended up being an appointment for my daughter. Or whenever my dad calls, I get really worried. It's just an automatic reaction to the phone calls of the past. When I was away with my friend last week, uh, my dad called me worried about a wound, bed pressure wound for my mom. And so I was calling around to some colleagues because I do work in the hospital and I have the luxury of being able to call upon a lot of professionals who know about these types of things and uh, get her the appropriate care. So I'm there when it's needed. You know, my dad's having issues with his nanny right now and I'm getting involved with that. I was involved with that yesterday. So I'm not removed, but I limit my involvement and my dad knows that. And we've had to, over the 14 years, establish new routines of care because now I have three children. I have a business. I have clients. I have, you know, I, I have a life that I need to continue living and giving myself to my my kids. And I think my dad realizes that and we've been able to make it work. It hasn't been an easy road. It's still hard when I don't have her truly for all these moments, when I don't think she knows what's happening, when I wish I could call my mom and say, hey, mom, what would you do here? Or when I wish someone would just celebrate my birthday, you know, it's not the same, but I'm still very thankful she's here. I'm thankful for the boundaries that I've been able to implement and the ability for us to be able to hire external support. I know that many people cannot do that, and we've had to rejig some things to do that, but ultimately we have. I'm also thankful that I work in this capacity and that I know the system and that I have the knowledge 
to get the supports she needs and know what to do because many don't. It's such a complicated system. And that's why I try so hard to help as many as I can and offer my services because I want to help other people who don't get the privilege of working in the system and knowing the system and being in the system. But it's it's been a hard road uh, and it's been eye-opening and I'm learning every day and you know, I don't think this ever ends. It's going to impact me always. And it's going to have an impact on me long after I'm even involved as a daughter. You know, one day when my mom does pass on, I mean, she's turning 74. Um, She's been living with this for 14 years. I'm not oblivious to the fact that she's not going to live for another 35 years. So one day she will pass on. um, And I think it's always going to stick with me. But I love that my kids get to see a different perspective of reality. I love that they get to learn about different sorts of people and different medical conditions and different devices, mobility devices, CPAP machines, Hoyer lifts. Um, They get to learn about people that maybe don't talk or people that don't engage and why. Um, My five-year-old daughter likes to ask me to watch old videos of my mom talking and likes to see what that looks like and wants to know what was grandma like when she was younger and she asks me questions and I like that because she has such a different unique perspective than if she didn't have a grandmother like this and I I, I really like teaching them that I like them seeing diversity and my three-year-old will go over to my parents house and she'll just sit beside my mom and stroke her leg and it's the the most adorable thing. She'll just look up at her and she'll say, hi, I love you. And she'll stroke her leg. And my mom may not react to that or she may not look at her, but my daughter doesn't care. It's really sweet. So anyway, that's what's happened. And that's where we're at. And this is my life. I've adapted to this life. I've, again, drawn boundaries. I've drawn limits. I'm very firm on that. And what I need to be okay for myself so that I can be okay for my children. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening and for coming on this journey with me back in time. Take care. Thanks for listening to Caregiver's Compass. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. I'm Stephanie Muscat. Have an uplifting day and I'll see you next time.